Welcome to Moving the Needle, casual conversations about ways, big and small, to impact student learning. Brought to you by the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. I'm Erin Hager. Let's move the needle. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Moving the Needle. I'm excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Roger Ward. Dr. Ward is Interim Provost, Executive Vice President, and Dean of the Graduate School here at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. He's overseen campus initiatives related to compliance and transparency, risk management, and accreditation. He is currently co-chairing the university's strategic planning efforts, but despite this full plate, Dr. Ward always makes time to teach. In today's episode, we talk about some universal principles of good teaching, how leadership and teaching overlap and intersect, how to recognize and reward good teaching at a Research One institution, and the similarities between creating a syllabus and a strategic plan. Dr. Ward, welcome. My pleasure. One thing that strikes me uh, about your your bio and your history is that you have been an avid consumer of education in so many disciplines and in so many different contexts. You've studied at community colleges, four-year institutions, law school twice. Uh, you've studied online and in person um, in many different disciplines. And I was wondering, given your experience as a student in all of these settings, have you learned any universal truths or uh, uh, patterns about teaching and learning that, that have stayed with you now that you are a leader in higher ed? Sure. I think one of the things that, and I have been in many educational settings, and regardless of the setting, I think one thing that is clear to me and that can be described as a universal truth is that good teaching is good teaching and good teaching happens at every level. And for me, and based on my experiences, I think preparation is the key for the teacher, the faculty member. Uh, of course, knowledge of the material and the content is very, very important, which is why you're in front of a classroom to begin with. But preparation is key. Good pedagogy is key. Structuring the course in a very effective way is key. I also believe what is also very important is expectations, setting expectations for your students um, and believing in their ability to be good learners and not teaching down to individuals as students. And I, I think I saw that most in the community college context where the really good teachers came in and you could tell they believed that everybody in that classroom was there to learn. Um, they set those expectations and they didn't teach down to anybody in the classroom. The not so effective faculty members came in and I would argue presumed that perhaps some of the students in the classroom weren't prepared to be there. Um, and again, with that, 
mindset taught down to the students. So I think good teaching is good teaching. Preparation is the key. And believing in your students' ability to learn um, are important. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think there's anything inherently different um, between a community college and, let's say, a Research One institution um, with respect to, let's say, the faculty's ability to, or, you know, the time that they have to prepare? I'm, I'm thinking about all the pressure, pressures that faculty at Research One institutions have, uh, you know, to maintain their research agenda and to publish. Um, do you feel like there's anything that leaders in uh, Research One institutions can do to support faculty in their uh, in their efforts to to learn new pedagogies, to learn new techniques, to prepare, uh, to engage with students in the way you describe? Sure. Erin, I think you, you touched on it. Uh, it's definitely different teaching at a community college and teaching at an R1 institution. Not only did I start my own educational journey as a, at a community college as a student, I started my higher education career as a professional at the same community college, in fact. And so I, I got to understand what it took to become a tenured faculty member at the community college. And a lot of it emphasis was on teaching. Um, there was an emphasis as well on scholarship, but nowhere near the level uh, in terms of expectation as you would expect at our one institution. So at a community college, teaching is what is valued in the promotion, appointment, promotion, and tenure process. When you get to an R1 institution, as should be expected, of course teaching is important. But so is research and scholarship, and so is service. And then if you are at one institution like ours, uh, you may also have clinical responsibilities. Um, and so those are additional pressures um, on the faculty member um, to perform in all those areas if, if they are to advance the, their career as faculty members. So the pressures at R1 are definitely, I would suggest, more intense um, uh, and, and much higher than it would be for a faculty member at a community college, say. And so with those realities, I think it's important for people like myself, provosts, deans, presidents, in terms of supporting teaching at an R1 institution is to make sure that we value teaching first and foremost in the appointment, promotion, and tenure process. As much as we value research, um, and I think sometimes we don't do that enough. Um, we certainly celebrate our faculty members as we should when they uh, receive big awards and grants uh, um, and especially um, the prestigious ones, our ones, and so on. We celebrate that. We celebrate our researchers for their discoveries that lead um, to major advances in science and that can be translated to vaccines, for example, and so on. So we should absolutely value and celebrate those things. And I think 
because we are so focused on celebrating those things, sometimes we neglect to also celebrate teaching and valuing it in the appointment, promotion, tenure process. And I think we have to be committed or more committed to doing that. Yeah. I think one of the ways, Dr. Ward, that you uh, communicate a value of teaching is that even with all your responsibilities here on campus, you still do teach or have taught uh, within the last couple of years. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the courses you teach and, and your approach to pedagogy and teaching? Sure. Uh, I've been teaching now consistently, and by consistently, I mean every semester for the past 15 years. So that started before I came to UMB. Um, when I was in New York at the New School, I started teaching at the New School, um, and I also taught at DeVry, um, master's co level courses in the MBA program, courses on ethics and organizational integrity. Um, I've taught courses in legal issues in higher education online um, for the most part. And that's, that's my preference for teaching. So I prefer to teach in the online environment or the hybrid environment. And I prefer to teach adult learners. And that's just me uh, because of I was an adult learner when I started college. So um, I'm passionate about education um, the education of the adult learner. So that's where I gravitate. And um, so I've taught at Stony Brook University. Um, I continue to teach there. I'm teaching a course right now at Stony Brook, um, legal issues in higher education. I've taught um, student development issues in higher education. I've taught cybersecurity courses, University of Maryland Global Campus, um, focused on um, data security and privacy issues, and how do you manage those at the enterprise level um, from the point of view of an organization. I'm teaching a course now in the School of Law, Law and Leadership. Um, and so I've been cons teaching consistently for the last 15 years, and I think and my colleagues know this. I believe in order to be an effective academic administrator, you have to understand the student experience, but you also have to understand the faculty experience. I grew up in student affairs, as I like to say, so I have a good understanding of, of what, what it takes to support the student um, learning experience and their co-curricular experience. And I've consistently taught so that I stay engaged um, and have a good appreciation for what it, what it's like to be an educator in the academy. That's 15 years uh, with all your responsibilities as an administrator, too. I, I, I think you must be one of those humans who don't need to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely need to, to sleep more. <laughs> more sleep for all. That's our That'll be our mantra. Could you give us an example, Dr. Ward, of... Uh, perhaps something that you gleaned from a teaching experience that later informed uh, a policy or a uh, philosophy that you brought into your leadership role? Did you see something, uh, you know, with your experience as a faculty member that made you say, you know, we need to make some adjustments, you know, because 
because this can't work this way or something that a student brought to you, you know, as part of the class that made you rethink the student affairs uh, side of your work? So this is going to sound pretty straightforward and simple. Uh, so the answer to the question is yes. But having a course syllabus that is very detailed, laid out with the assignments, the readings that are due week to week, the assignments, a clear description of those assignments with due dates, um, clear student learning outcomes for the course, so that students understand what they're expected to walk away learning from the course and making it a requirement that every course, um, every faculty member should be able to provide every student in his or her course with a detailed, well-developed syllabus. And as simple as that sounds, that does not happen universally across academic institutions um, in the United States. And so that's certainly something I've learned from my own experiences. I think that has gotten better over time as accreditors themselves have come to realize the value in making sure that we have these um, you know, syllabuses that are well-developed um, and that are informative and clear um, if we are to facilitate student learning success. Uh, so I think uh, as a very simple example, that that's one example. And then I think the other thing I would say flowing from that, I mentioned student learning outcomes. You know, clearly well-crafted student learning outcomes and working with the faculty on uh, and teaching them and, and, and demonstrating to them and helping them write good learning outcomes. Um, I think more and more faculty members are recognizing the importance of, of student learning outcomes, but writing them in a way um, that then you could build out the assignments and everything else from that um, takes time and, and, and faculty development. Yeah. When, when we at the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning work with faculty, um, whether they're teaching online for the first time uh, or coming to us with some other kind of uh, pedagogical innovation question, um, I find that sometimes they're surprised that that's where we start our questions. Um, that it's, you know, it's not, let's talk about the tool or let's talk about the, the buttons we can click and, and the effects we can have with that, but really tell us where you want these students to end up. What's the finish line so we can help you get there in an effective way. And, um, and, and it, it's sometimes you see that light bulb go off um, with faculty. They, they know it, but maybe they haven't articulated it in a particular way. But as soon as they do, I say everything else is downhill after that. Once, once you can articulate these in a way it's like writing a good research question. The rest, the rest of it just flows after that. But it, you know, it can take a little back and forth. Yeah, I I talk about it in terms of reverse engineering, reverse engineering your course, where you start with the end in mind and then you build backwards from there. And I I think then that leads to an effective, effective course. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And and uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast with other guests about having a good recognition of where your students are coming from. What what educational background do they have with this material before they even start so that you can you can fill in any gaps that you need to along the way. Um, right. I think sometimes when faculty uh, teach individual courses, um, seeing it as part of a, a broader curriculum. Um, it can be a really important conversation to have, recognizing sort of where this course fits among all the others. Absolutely. Uh, the university is in the process of updating its strategic plan, and you uh, and your colleagues are are tasked with leading that ambitious effort. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how you see the role of teaching um, uh, manifesting itself in that strategic plan? What kind of preliminary conversations uh, are happening around that, if you're at liberty to to say? It's just kind of, what what can we look forward to at University of Maryland Baltimore in the next, uh, next few years with respect to teaching, do you think? So there are a few things I could say about that, and they are preliminary, especially as it relates to the strategic planning process. In our current strategic plan, which expires in June, by which time hopefully we would have adopted our strategic plan for the next five years, there's a theme on student success. I would imagine that in the next strategic plan, the one we're working on now, there'll be a similar theme. And when we talk about student success, of course, it's student success in and out of the classroom. And so I think teaching will obviously um, be something that we're we focus in on, especially in terms of thinking how we teach based on what we would have learned from the past year, having to um, pivot to teaching for the most part um, in the online environment. And we're already hearing from students and faculty, by the way, that even as things get better with the pandemic and even as we return to whatever the new normal is, Let's not lose some of the valuable skills we have developed, expertise we have developed, having to teach online for this past year. And let's take that into what the future of teaching looks like at UMB. So I think we'll continue to invest in our Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning. I think we'll continue to deepen our understanding of, of what it means to teach with technology and what it means from the student's perspective to learn um, in, in that environment. Uh, President Gerald has talked um, openly that one of his top priorities as president is recognizing teaching excellence. So we've been talking about an um, academy um, for educators where going back to what we were talking about earlier, recognizing and celebrating teaching at UMB as much as we recognize and celebrate research. So I would expect those themes um, and those strategies to feature pretty prominently in the next strategic plan. That's wonderful. I think one of the great values of, of going through this process of strategic planning is it, it feels like it creates a, a campus vocabulary or a kind of a shared language that everyone uh, can can use uh, as as we're all feeling our way in this new environment, this new normal. But to have that as a touchstone of where we're trying to go, I think could be really will will be really helpful. I absolutely 
agree. And it's interesting because just yesterday we had our third steering committee meeting. And one of the things we did talk about, we weren't talking about teaching per se. We were talking about core values. Um, one of the conversations we had was around definitions and making sure that there's a shared understanding in terms of what these terms mean. And one of the ways we get to that shared understanding is through the strategic planning process as we come up with these terms, attaching clear definition to them. So I think the same thing is true having to do with the language around teaching and learning um, and, and making sure that there is shared understanding of what the terms mean. Absolutely. As you were speaking, I was I was going back to what you were saying about the syllabus, and it, it makes me think that the the strategic planning process is, is very similar to, a, you know, it's the leadership uh, working in collaboration to sort of craft the quote unquote syllabus for the campus for where we're going, just the way the syllabus is a is a roadmap for the students. I feel like a lot of that same same kind of thinking, backward design, as you called it, reverse engineering, where do we want to be and how are we going to get there and, and what uh, what's the language and the values that we're going to use to get there? It seems like you're uh, doing those exact same things just on a on a more broad level. I think that's a, a, a great um, thought, Erin. It's exactly the same concept. Where do we want to be in five years? And so we set these big, bold, ambitious goals for ourselves and then we say all right this is where we want to be and then we ask ourselves then what's it going to take for us to get there and we start to imagine what those things are and and put and begin to put those things in place so yep that is exactly right as you look on the horizon say in the next 5 10 15 years uh you know with all your experience in higher ed and and having seen trends develop uh you know over years throughout your career is there anything on the horizon that you think uh is particularly exciting that might as we say in our podcast move the needle uh with respect to higher education uh, yep absolutely and again this comes out actually of the research space which is one of the wonderful things about being at a research one institution. I think just as we're beginning to see artificial intelligence um, be used more prominently and effectively in research and in clinical care and what have you, I think we're gonna begin to see a lot more use of AI in teaching. And I think that's on the horizon, horizon and will be quite interesting I would like for us, UMB, to be a trailblazer in that regard. So that's something uh, we should be thinking about and maybe something um, that we could advance under our next strategic plan. I think also on the horizon, it's here actually, but I think on the horizon, more institutions will begin to be focused on it. I think it's the extension of the learning continuum um, where, you know, there's this, 60-year lifelong learning continuum. Um, traditionally in higher education, we are focused on those traditional learners, 18 to 22 years old. I think it's safe to say that the learning demographic, the student demographic has shifted for several years. We talked about is shifting or soon will soon shift, but it has shifted. And so now uh, 
as, as a public state university, I think we have a responsibility to, con to educate learners all along that continuum. And so we, we, we have for the last several years, and I think that will only continue um, to grow, been focused on these various student demographics. And so it's not the traditional students that come into our, our traditional um, professional degree programs. We started, as you know, launching professional master's degree for people who are already um, in the workforce, certificate programs and thinking about other ways in which to offer other forms of micro credentials. And I think that is, again, um, here in some measure, but in terms of the horizon, will just continue to become more prominent. And I, along with that, because these are adult learners, again, many of whom are already in the workforce, I think what's on the horizon, even for institutions like us, and I'm talking for institutions like us in particular, more on closer partnership with industry in terms of educating their workforce um, and keeping their workforce educated. We're in a knowledge economy now. Um, things change very quickly and people will always need to upskill and up-educate, if I could use that word. And I think uh, we can't, because of the type of institution we are, say that's not the educational market space we're in. I think um, the state will have expectations of us and do in, in helping to educate the workforce in that way. Um, and I think, of course, the workforce itself would have those expectations of us and we should have those expectations of ourselves as well and be prepared again to, to work closer with industry to help educate the workforce and to help educate students who leave here and are better prepared for the workforce of the future. So those are some of the things that particularly as our one institution, I think um, will feature prominently for us on the horizon. That relationship between between industry and higher ed, it seems like could really be a, a mutually informing relationship so that we, we know what's on the on the horizon with, you know, with the workforce and can properly prepare. But, um, you know, that the conversation uh, as opposed to a top down approach. Absolutely. Well, all of those things that uh, that you mentioned, you know, the the introduction of artificial intelligence and and preparing for uh, a diverse student body with respect to age and 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 all the demographics, uh, and and this industry partnership is is enough to keep any administrator busy for a long time, much less with uh, having a strategic plan to draft and, and all the other responsibilities that you have. So we cannot thank you enough for, for generously spending your afternoon chatting with us about these topics. And uh, we're really uh, excited to, um, to, to share these thoughts with our listening community. So thank you so much for your time. Um, it's my pleasure being here, Erin. Thank you for affording me the opportunity. And I'd be remiss if I remiss of me if I didn't say that the only way I, I, I could find a time to come sit with you is because I have so many very capable people doing all the work um, on, on our collective behalf. So um, I think 
the university as it relates to teaching and learning is supported by an extraordinary team. So we are fortunate in that regard. I could not agree more. And uh, thank you for all your efforts to to bring that team together. And uh, we really look forward to having you back uh, for another conversation sometime soon. We hope you'll join us again. I look forward to it. Thank you for joining us today on Moving the Needle. Visit us at umaryland.edu slash fctl to hear additional episodes, leave us feedback, or suggest future topics. We'd love to hear from you.